If you haven't already done so, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 31. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there should be a Bible on your row, and I'm sure someone around you would be glad to share with you. Isaiah chapter 31 is our text this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. And yet he is wise and brings disaster. He does not call back his words, but will arise again the house of the evildoers and against the helpers of those who work iniquity. The Egyptians are man and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble, and he who is helped will fall, and they will all perish together. For thus the Lord said to me, As a lion or a young lion growls over its prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, he is not terrified by their shouting or daunted at their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill. Like birds hovering, so the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect and deliver it. He will spare and rescue it. Turn to him from whom people have deeply revolted, O children of Israel. For in that day everyone shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your hands have sinfully made for you. And the Assyrian shall fall by a sword not of man, and a sword not of man shall devour him, and he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall be put to forced labor. His rock shall pass away in terror, and his officers desert the standard in panic, declares the Lord whose fire is in Zion and whose furnace is in Jerusalem. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's go to him again in prayer. God, as we turn now to the preaching of your word, I ask that you will open ears this morning. Father, that your people will be filled, that we will understand better our Lord Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for us and who he is, that our faith will grow, that it will lead us in obedience to your word, Father, that you will be declared glorious, not just from this microphone, this pulpit, not just today as we sing, as we hear your word, but in our lives. Father, we need you for our lives to be living sacrifices. May the gospel of Jesus Christ be on our lips and in how we live. To your glory. Amen. Well, thank you, Sammy, for leading us in worship and song. And thank you, Jim, for the responsive reading and the prayer. And praise God for the baptisms today. Amen. Amen. Making our faith public through baptism is a beautiful display of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank God for that. 
In our sermon series, we're making our way through the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 31 picks up where we left off last week in chapter 30. You may remember the southern kingdom of Judah is facing invasion from the tyrannical nation of Assyria with its destructive army. There are counselors in King Hezekiah's court in Judah trying to get Hezekiah to get help from the Egyptians. They've already sent a caravan of donkeys and camels that are carrying enormous amounts of treasures begging the Egyptians for help. You may remember this is the same country, the very nation that enslaved them years ago in which God delivered them from. That's even how the Ten Commandments begin. God said to Moses to tell the people, He is the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Hezekiah and all of Judah have returned to this country. They are willing to seek help from one enemy to get help against another. Their eyes are on the world's level. All they see is what's in front of them. They see this mass sea of Assyrian aggression. They are depending on human strength to save them. But who is man against the all-powerful, the all-knowing God? Egypt is no match. We know this already. The country could not handle the ten plagues that God sent against Egypt. When Israel went to the Red Sea and they saw the Egyptian army marching against them, Moses said to the Israelites, The Lord will fight for you. The Lord then destroyed the entire Egyptian army after he parted the waters, the Israelites went through on dry land to the other side of the sea. The Egyptians saw that, pursued them, and then God released the waters, and the Egyptians drowned. No army, no country, no human being has ever been a match against God. He is the sovereign one. And not just in freeing the Israelites. This is how he's been all throughout history. You read history, it's God making the history. He is the history maker. He's the one who stands alone and is above all creation. Divine sovereignty is all over history. And God doesn't just react to events. He's never surprised. He didn't freak out over the Egyptians pursuing and come up with a plan B. He prepared everything. All of life. All of life. That includes your life and my life. We are part of a bigger plan since the creation of the world. It's a magnificent plan that has one goal in mind. All the world has been put together for one goal, and that is to bring glory to God. In the midst of the situation with King Hezekiah and all of Judah now facing the Assyrians, 
God is not surprised. He is not reacting. He is the one who has orchestrated everything. He's the one setting things in place. And he has said he will determine what the Assyrians can and can't do. So as his people are facing this trouble, God wants them to look to him for help. And that's still true today. What Judah is facing is typical of the world from which Christ delivered us from by giving himself for us on the cross. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it is senseless. It is utter foolishness for a Christian who knows Christ and what he has accomplished to turn back to the world rather than to depend on Christ. To do that, it even dishonors his name. It says redemption keeps us out of hell, but it's not enough to fulfill me or assure me today. And this is foolishness. When every believer knows Christ has saved us to himself. And he's a God who's full of joy and peace and love, and he gives it to us freely. Who God is and all that he has is there for every believer when we face trouble today. And we're promised to be with God forever. When we're in difficult situations, when we are in need, when emergencies arise, when we have problems that seem too big for us, God wants us to turn to Him and trust Him, to put our hope and our reliance upon Him. This morning, from the text, I want to give you three reasons for trusting God instead of anything else in this world. The first one is in verses 1 through 3. The second is verses 4 and 5. And the third is 6 through 9. Let's look at the first one. The first reason to trust God. In verses 1 through 3, we see the superiority of God to worldly power and wisdom. The superiority of God to worldly power and wisdom. Verses 1 through 3 are really a summary of last week's passage in chapter 30. The gist of last week was to remember its foolishness to trust in anything in this world. And really, God calls that idol worship. When we turn anywhere else, it's not just turning away from Christ. God says it's idol worship. Idol worship is trusting in anything else other than God. And we have all been idol worshipers. We have put our hope in something else other than the Holy One of Israel. If you're not a Christian this morning, God declares that you are an idol worshiper. You need to know what God says. And He says He convicts idol worshipers. He is the only true God. He is the only one who deserves your worship. And if you say that you don't worship anything, you don't believe in God, you don't believe in anything, 
then you are a worshiper of an empty idol. Because someone, something is there that you worship. Whatever you adore, whatever you exalt in the highest honor, whatever you hold dear to you, whatever you hold close the most, that is your idol. And everybody worships something. Some turn to other religions. Others seek refuge and consolation in drugs and alcohol. Others worship themselves. They put their trust in their own abilities. Their lives are centered on fulfilling their own selfish desires. Those of us in the church have realized none of this is worth living for. None of it fulfills what they promise. Drugs won't give what we're told. By God's grace, we have been shown, we in the church have been shown God's superior power and His wisdom. What He did in the Red Sea is not the only time God has displayed His awesome power. Here's a few other examples from the Old Testament before Judah was facing the threat of Assyria. After the Exodus, we're told God made rocks give water. What else does that? He made the walls of Jericho just simply fall. He made the sun stand still so Israel could defeat the Canaanites. Who else or what else can make the sun stand still? He caused many enemies to go into confusion. He hailed down hailstones from the sky. And then the mighty God promised to bring the Messiah who will ultimately save His people. The Messiah would conquer sin and death. And we know this in the church. We know this to be Jesus Christ. And He did that. God's power is unequaled. God's wisdom is also on display for all to see. In His wisdom, creation displays His glory. We can look around us outside in this outside service and look at all of nature and see that there is a Creator. That's all we have to do. Just look at creation. He is the only one who knows what will happen next. He sets everything in its place. And He has the power and the wisdom to make it all happen. His power and God's wisdom, they have no limit. No limit. So that's why in verse 1, Isaiah says, Woe to those who go to Egypt for help and rely on horses and chariots. After God has clearly shown His power and His wisdom to His people, Judah wanted horses and they trusted in chariots from the Egyptians. They don't look to the truly strong wise one. The horses and chariots were the best of what man had at the time. The countries with the most horses and chariots were considered the most powerful nations. We think horses and chariots, and we think, man, that's, that's just so ancient. At the time, it was the best of technology and methods. Man has always tried to improve in our technology 
and our methods. And there's nothing wrong with that until we rely on them for our security and our hope. We have moved way beyond in our modern day, way beyond horses and chariots. But what's out there today that we rely on? Is it having the latest smartphone or device? Is it having the best technology? Is it the best calming techniques of yoga or meditation? Is it having more money to feel secure? Do we look at the, what's best of today for our security and our hope? The world is constantly offering the best of what it knows. But the people of God have something and someone so much better and infinitely enduring. We have Almighty God who doesn't need anyone or anything. And He gives what nothing in this world can give you. And that's salvation by His grace through faith. And do you know what we call that? We call that His love. Not the conditional love from another person who has limits. Not cheap love that has thrills for a little while. It's unconditional, holy love. And God is determined to bring His people to Himself and love them. And love them by the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the blood that He shed on the cross and the death He died for the forgiveness of sin and His resurrection from the grave, defeating death forever. That is how God has loved His people. This love from the Holy One of Israel is what keeps God's people. We don't need what the world offers. God's love is strong enough to assure us of eternal life and peace and endless joy in His presence. His love to us, shown in Christ, is His greatest display of unlimited power and wisdom. In verse 2, God assures His people He's wise enough to bring disaster on all their adversaries, including those of His people who turn from Him. This reminder of God's marvelous power and wisdom then culminate in verse 3 when we're told, look with me if you will, we're told in verse 3, the Egyptians are man, not God. The Egyptians are merely finite men, not gods. And therefore, they are insufficient to protect Judah. Because the Assyrians who are coming are God's appointed instruments. What can Egypt do against God? He's already proven this, hasn't he? He's already proven what he can do, and Judah should remember that. It's God who will protect Jerusalem. Not because of how precious or how special the people are there, but because Jerusalem will serve his purpose of his son coming to fulfill his plan of eternal salvation for his people. And God will protect us so that his son will be glorified 
about this text, Ray Ortland says, we need to see, we in the church today, we need to see when we turn to other things, we are not empowering ourselves, we are disempowering ourselves. The modern world thinks that there is nothing greater than man. There is nothing greater than what man can do. God is removed from everything. And this hasn't made us better, and it hasn't made us safer. It's actually the exact opposite, isn't it? What we're all looking for cannot be found in this world. It's only found in the grace of God. And to have God is to have all things. So brothers and sisters in Christ, when we're faced with adversity, where do you seek help? You know Christ, but who do you rely on? Who do you trust? When you're made vulnerable, maybe when you're confronted by frightening circumstances, or you're shaken to the core with hardship, we all need to remember Christ's words to his disciples. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. He is powerful enough, he's wise enough to protect our hearts and to satisfy us with his love. So the first reason to trust God is that he is superior to all worldly power and wisdom. I've spent a lot of time in the first three verses. Let me quickly go through the next one. In verses 4 and 5, we need to trust God because He's able to protect His people. Not only is God superior to all worldly power and wisdom, He is able to protect His people. This feeds off of that first reason. Because God is all-powerful and He's, he's all-wise, He's then able to protect us. God doesn't just use his power and his wisdom for himself. We're given two images in our text on how he uses his power and his wisdom to care for us. The first image is a lion protecting its prey from anything that would snatch it away. Now imagine that for a second. Imagine you're out on the safari and you're witnessing a lion on the hunt capturing its prey. What does the lion do? Well, this is similar to what we're told in Romans. If you'll keep your thumb there in Isaiah 31, turn with me to the book of Isaiah, uh, the book of Romans chapter 8 we're going to see that same image of the lion holding its prey in its mouth, protecting it from anything else that might snatch it away. But we're going to see it this time, not as a lion protecting its prey. We're going to see Christ, the Lion of Judah, caring for his people in the same way. Romans 8, beginning in verse 35, says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. 
No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That same image, that lion, the lion of Judah, watching over his people. Nothing can snatch his people away from that lion. God is not terrified by anything or anyone. Nothing scares him away. Back in Isaiah, we're told shepherds shout at a lion. So you're back on that safari. The lion has captured its prey, and the shepherds come out. They want to snatch the. They, they want to try and save that the little sheep, the little lamb that that lion has caught. And the lion stays there undaunted. We're told he just growls at the shepherds. That's how God is for His people. God fights for us. He is zealous for us. He protects us and fights us with His powerful love and He defends us with His wise care. We're given another image in Isaiah. We're told He's also like a mother bird protecting its nest. Not only is God strong and powerful like a lion, He personally cares. He tenderly cares. And make sure nothing will bring eternal harm to his people. Like a mother bird, God is paying constant attention to his children. He's aware of everything. All that is part of your life, he knows and he's there. He's ever present. And like a mother bird that's willing to defend its eggs to even sacrifice itself, Jesus Christ protects his followers through his life that he sacrificed for our sake. And he's there today defending us. He's providing and caring for you today who have declared him Lord and Savior. So we need to trust God because of his superiority over worldly power and wisdom. We need to trust him because he's able to protect us. And lastly, in verses 6 through 9, we need to trust him because through repentance and faith, he promises to deliver us from the oppression of sin and idolatry. In light of who God is, that he is the all powerful, all wise one, that he's able to protect his people, God calls us then to repentance to acknowledge our sin, to put away all our idols and believe Him, to reject false worship and worldly alternatives. Now to be clear, when I say repentance, when Scripture speaks of repentance, it's not just being sorry about your sin. This is so much more than just a feeling you may have about what you've done. Repentance is turning from sin. Being a believer in Christ is not just being sorry and then adding Jesus into your life. It's Christ becoming your life. It's you trusting Him for everything. His holiness becomes your treasure 
and your goal. And you can't have holiness and idols. They don't match. It's like oil and water. They do not go together. God called Judah to cast away their idols that were sinfully made. He's calling us to do the same. Whatever has drawn your heart away from him is an idol that needs to be thrown away. God's main goal in your life is to conform you to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. It's not a worldly life that's full of sin and idol worship. There are no idols in the kingdom of God. No sinfully made objects for our affection. God wants his people to repent of our idols and to turn to him. This is not just a decision to accept who Christ is. It's giving every part of your heart. It's living for him. That's all of our affections, all of our desires focused on Christ and removing everything that would oppose that focus. There is a fundamental idolatrous nature in all of us. We are born into sin and we need cleansed from it. Followers of Jesus Christ still need cleansing from that idolatrous nature. We have been forgiven when we repent, but we must cast away all idolatry and sin since we're now set apart for the Holy One. The world is no longer our friend. It is no longer a place we go to searching for answers. Believers are concerned about God alone and what He says. When God says in verse 8 of our text, Assyria will fall by a sword, not of man, He's telling us we don't need to worry about the world's threats and dangers. Our idols that are all around us won't save us from any of those threats. God is taking care of all of that for us. They will not stop His purpose of saving His people and giving them His endless love and joy. The same God who did all the supernatural acts that we read about in the Old Testament. All the stories of the Bible. He is transforming every believer with that same supernatural power into a holy saint fit for eternity. This is our reminder this morning. Idols can't do this. Nothing in the world can do this. Only God does it. And he's a God who is an eternal fire, whose furnace is holy and pure. And when he touches you with conviction, it burns, doesn't it? It hurts, but it also seals you and it also preserves you. God's wise decisions, his powerful grace is sometimes hard to understand. Sometimes they involve both discipline and protection, but they're both full of his love for his people. Brother and sister in Christ, if God is for us, who can be against us? And what can separate us from the love of Christ? 
Nothing. Nothing. Let's stop worrying about the world. Let's concern ourselves with God. Let's turn to Him in repentance and trust Christ for our salvation. And don't just equate salvation with the future heaven. Salvation is now. It's today. By faith in Christ, be saved now from sin. Now from worry and anxiety. Be saved from emptiness inside. Be saved from false assurances that leave you unfulfilled. In Christ, know the endless love and the joy of God and the living fire of His holiness. There is no one greater, no one more glorious than He. Who do you know that needs to hear this today? Who is it that's close to you that needs to repent of their idols and hope in God? Later on today, throughout the week, remind yourself of who you are in Christ and who He is for you. Remove your idols. Cast them away. Remind your spouse. Keep telling your kids. When we're in fellowship later today, ask someone how this text personally applies to their life. And pray for our church. Pray for us to proclaim the power and the wisdom of our loving God. Let's pray.